Um, just an update um, for you guys. Some of you are familiar to, to Clark and I. Um, and he does say hello. He sends his love. He sends big hugs to all the men that were at retreat that year with him that he confided that he was not a hugger. And then he was inundated with guys that were hugging him after that. So anyway, um, we came to Hope in December 2008. And it was a time of refreshing. Long story short, we'd come from a difficult ministry in the States. And God was just opening our eyes to the, the mystery and the joys of living in freedom and grace. And so when we came here, it was both hard because we managed a turkey farm out off of Trussler Road. And any of you that um, knew us then knew Clark could barely get off the property. We used to sneak to McDonald's for date night for supper because those turkeys had to be watched. You couldn't, you know, go too far away from them. So anyway, but there were good memories there. Um, then we left in 2012. As I said, my dad got sick. Um, Clark's mother had major heart surgery that year. So we just really sensed um, Papa God saying, it's time to move closer to be near family. So we loaded up our U-Haul from Elmira. We were living in Elmira at the time and headed to Windsor. And um, that was July. It was, I think we left the day after the church picnic uh, or that weekend. Anyway, um, the following month, within about six weeks, my father died. We didn't know it was going to be that soon, but he passed away. And in doing that, um, it opened up a vacancy in the church that my dad pastored for 26 years. Um, Clark and I were familiar with the church. Um, we went there when our kids were really little, and anyway, the Lord kind of took us away from there for a while, but then when dad passed away, it just seemed like the perfect thing to go back to that church, and we've been there ever since. Uh, Gordon, Janessa, and the boys have been to our church. Um, it's a rural church. Um, it's an independent one, and they love us. Um, it's the first church that Clark has pastored that he has had full um, freedom to speak um, whatever he feels the Holy Spirit telling him to speak in. A little bit of history of our church. Our church is in North Buxton, Ontario, which was once a terminus on the Underground Railroad. Escaped slaves would come to North Buxton to find freedom. That's no quinky-dink that he would take a grace preacher there to offer freedom to bondage people, Christians living in bondage, or just people in general living in any kind of bondage. The mystery and the joy of grace is for everyone. And so um, it's just an ironic thing that he would take us there and that, um, that we do have freedom, uh, freedom there. Just pray for us. It's a small church, as I say, and um, we're pretty traditional. And uh, we've been to Hope, so... Tradition and us are kind of different. Uh, Clark is not quite the cookie cutter that um, maybe some people might think. But anyway, um, long story short, we've been there ever since. Um, it's been seven years coming up in August since my dad passed away. In the role of pastor and wife at our church, um, it was kind of understood that the pastor's wife would do Bible study. Okay, My mom had done it for years. And well, I'm not, I'm not a piano player, I'm not a choir director, I'm not your typical pastor's wife. And so I, I took that role just kind of begrudgingly at first, thinking, okay, Lord, 
there's not much out there in far, as far as Bible studies that are grace-themed, you know. There's a lot of bondage around there for Christian people, especially women being told to be virtuous and all the things that go along with it. So I wavered a little bit. I asked Papa to show me what he would have me do, and it's always been in the back of my mind that the shack would make a phenomenal study. So first I ventured out with, I did the Grace Walk study with my ladies, and they quite enjoyed that. And then I thought, okay, well, let's see how this goes. So I bought every used copy of the shack that I could, um, and decided to get an audio copy of it, a CD. And so our little group of ladies, most of them older ladies, would meet on Wednesdays for an hour and listen to a chapter and discuss it. And through the Holy Spirit, we, him and I came up with um, Bible study questions, like study, study questions about the book. Um, pretty much everybody dropped out of that study. Uh, as soon as they heard it was about the shack, oh, a little girl gets murdered, oh, I don't know, it's not, not my thing. So a lot of people fell away from it. But in that process, we gained two ladies. So some came and went. I'm kind of going around it because that plays a key part in what my story is today. Um, we had these two ladies and my mom and I, every Wednesday we would meet and we would discuss the shack. Um, further to that, about five years ago, how many of you know Ralph Harris? Kind of just a sidetrack thing here, okay? Ralph is a great guy, great grace teacher, just real down to earth and easy to understand. Um, Ralph was in the Detroit area about five years ago, and I decided on a Sunday morning that I'd venture across and go and hear Ralph speak. I'd wanted to meet him. So I went and listened to him this Sunday morning, and the theme of his message was, um, about teaching your own story, not feeling that you have to have necessarily a gift to teach or a, a gimmick, you might say, but just sharing your story, sharing what God has taught you, sharing your experiences and things. And that resonated with me. I had never felt that I had anything really to share. I mean, I can talk to you, I can talk your leg off, but not to really share with anybody, but Ralph encouraged me that day through his message that God had a story that he was telling and he wanted me to use that story whenever I'd have the uh, opportunity. So I'm going to tell you some of that story today and um, pray for me. It's a very personal story and um, I'm really counting on the Father to help me hold it all together, okay? Um, so let's just open with a word of prayer before I go any further, okay? Papa, you know I'm dependent on you today. You know that my heart is to share you and to share you well. To share about your faithfulness in the midst of unthinkable tragedy. So Father, I'm, you're up here with me. You've given me what to say and I pray that you will help me to be dependent on you. I thank you that you are already and have been working, and I pray that you will work in the hearts and minds of people that are hearing the message today. Help me to hold it together, Lord, and you and I will get through this together. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Um, during the process of this Bible study, um, my brother Tim had been through a messy divorce a number of years before that, 
and his ex and his two children had moved to Kentucky, where his ex-wife was from, and where we have roots as well. My family lived there for a time when I was a teenager. Anyway, long story short, we would go and visit the kids. Um, I think Ryan would have been about 14 when they got divorced, and Rachel would have been about nine. Anyway, uh, the kids moved away, and we would go once or twice a year to visit them. Now, as if any of you, and I'm sure you all are, aware of how messy divorces can go, um, the children would be dropped off at the hotel wherever we were staying, and we would have our time with the kids, and then their mom or somebody would come and pick them up and take them. It wasn't because of anything, no legalities or anything, it was just comfortable for everybody. So in um, 2015, in February of 2015, my brother Tim and my mom and I decided to make one of these trips to Kentucky. So we got up on a Sunday morning and excitedly drove to Elizabethtown, Kentucky. And the kids were dropped off at the hotel and we decided to take them out to Ruby Tuesday for supper. Ryan at the time was 22 years old. Ryan had been diagnosed the year before with Asperger's. So Ryan had challenges with social, his social skills, okay? Life was hard for Ryan, but he had managed to get a proper diagnosis and was in therapy and uh, was able to deal with some of the anger and some of the issues of, uh, of the divorce and of his situation, the, the, the way, he, the lot that he found himself in in life. Managed to go to mechanic school in Nashville, Tennessee, went out got some roommates, went to college, and graduated uh, with a diesel mechanic license. Came back to Kentucky and found that his anxiety and things made it difficult for him just to go out and get a job. So he got a job at a local fast food joint. Um, Elizabethtown, Kentucky is right on I-65 if you go to Florida that way. And um, his job was at a Kentucky Fried Chicken, Taco Bell type place. And he did well there. He was learning the job, everybody liked him. Ryan was a super fan for hockey. Nashville Predators was his thing. He knew every stat, he didn't play himself, he knew every stat imaginable. He was a good Canadian boy, even though he was, had spent so much time in the States. But anyway, fast forward again to, back to February 20th, we head to Ruby Tuesday to take the kids out for supper. Always was a nice icebreaker with the kids, see what they've been up to and whatnot. So we're sitting at the table, and the girl takes our drink orders, and I could see Ryan. He was sitting next to me, and his eyes were shifting. And I thought, that kid's up to something. So the waitress comes around to Ryan, and she says, what'll you have? He looks up, and he says, I'll have a Heineken, please. So, oh, okay, so Ryan's going to have a beer. First beer we'd ever seen Ryan have, and he was going to share that beer with his father. His father always had a beer, when, still does, when we go out. And so Ryan had his beer, and he was quite pleased with himself. This may seem insignificant, but it's all significant in the end, so just bear with me while I get there. Um, we had a great time visiting with with Ryan and Rachel, his sister Rachel. 
Monday, Ryan had to go to work that night, so we decided, well, we'll go to the movies and hang out during the day, so we went and saw a movie. We were the only ones in the theater. You know, it was like noon or something on a Monday morning or Monday afternoon. So we went and saw Zoolander 2. Not my recommendation to any of you, especially, you know, but anyway. We're sitting there, and I can hear my nephew snickering next to me, and he was snickering at all the right places where I knew that he knew what they were insinuating, different things. But anyway, I looked over, and I said, Ryan, behave yourself. We had a nice time. Monday night, Ryan goes to work, and the, the hotel we always stayed in was right next to the, temp, or the KFC, so... After his shift, about 10 o'clock, he comes over just laden with fried chicken and biscuits and mashed potatoes and gravy and the pride on his face that he had done, a, had done his job. He had come over. He was telling us, oh, Auntie, you know, you know that the biscuits aren't, because all oh, the biscuits are so great there. Oh, Auntie, they come in frozen, you know. Oh, Auntie, the corn is frozen. Oh, don't tell me anymore, Ryan. You're bursting my bubble. Anyway, we enjoyed our chicken that night. Little did we know that'd be the last time I'd ever eat Kentucky Fried Chicken. Tuesday morning comes, and we'd had a nice visit. Tim had had a good visit with his kids. And when I, I explained to you that we'd never been to the, well, the kids were always dropped off. We really didn't know where the children lived. That might seem odd to you, but sometimes when you're looking for to keep peace with people, you just accept things the way they are. So that morning we got up and we were going to head home. So my mom says, and I know it was Holy Spirit driven, mom says, Tim, do you know the address of the kids where they live? And Tim said, yeah. He, he knew it because he sent stuff there all the time, but he didn't know where it was. You got one of those GPS things, Tim? Yeah, Tim said, yeah, we do. I do. So off we went. Well, the kids live in the middle of nowhere, but we found them. Another God thing. We pulled in, and Ryan was standing outside. He was going to a doctor's appointment that day. And so we pulled in the driveway, and Ryan showed us his pride and joy, an old broken-down Ranger truck that he was going to fix because he was the ultimate mechanic. He wasn't good at some things, but he was phenomenal at other things. So this was his baby. So we got out, talked a little bit to Ryan. Ryan showed us his pride and joy, and then we hugged his neck and told him we loved him. And we drove away. After that, uh, sometime later that day, Tim shared with my mom, if Ryan had just had his passport up to date, like if he'd had his passport, he said... I would have put that kid in the car and brought him home with me. That's significant. So we pulled away. Tim did his usual, cried most of the way home. Divorce is hard. Brokenness is hard. So we got home to Windsor. They dropped me off, and Tim was living in London at the time. He dropped Mom off, and we went about our week. Wednesday's Bible study day. Get home Tuesday night, Wednesday's Bible study day. I'm on my way. Now, Windsor and North Buxton are about 45 minutes apart. So anytime we go to church, it's a 45-minute drive. So 
I'm on my way this day, and I was listening to a CD that I would recommend for everybody. In fact, I'm sure you guys have all listened to it. Mercy Me's Welcome to the New. Full of identity. It's Mercy Me has got a hold of the grace message. And this is their first CD after that revelation. And I was singing and praying and worshiping. I cried from Windsor to North Buxton that day. And I said, oh, Father, help Tim and his hurt. Heal his hurt. Just, you know, bind him up. Let him know he's a, he's a new creature. All of the things that Mercy Me was singing to me about. I had a beautiful time. It wasn't a heaviness. It was a, I would say it was more like worship. Papa and I were talking. And so I got to Bible study, and we had our study, and all was good. Thursday comes, Thursday, February 25th, a day that changed my family forever. Around 9.20 that night, my mother called, sobbing. She said, Ryan's been murdered. He was shot by a coworker at work. This kind of thing does not happen in Canada. It shouldn't happen anywhere, and I'm not going to get political about it. But workplace violence is real, and everyone that works with other people should be aware of the signs and things. But anyway, um, we, we got the call that he'd been murdered. Within an hour, well, no, well, within the hour, we had a mugshot. The killer was Joshua Ratliff, a worker from KFC. Less than 60 hours after we had hugged that child, that young man, and told him we loved him. We soon found out that Joshua was a bad employee. Well, go figure, okay? He was the kind of character that gave everybody the creeps, honestly. And he liked to pick on Ryan because Ryan was different. Ryan was a, was a Christian, but Ryan was a gentle young man. Anyway, Josh's favorite thing to do, what, he was the dishwasher. He'd wash his hands, and then he'd take his wet, dirty hands out of the water, out of the dishwater, so it was dirty that way. And they'd stick his hands in the chicken where Ryan was putting together orders for people. Would drive them all crazy. So... The, one, the Monday night that we were actually there, Ryan's friend, Dre Vaughn, Dre, nice young man, worked with Ryan, said, Ryan, hey, you got to tell Josh to stop that. He's ruining the chicken. Every time he does that, we've got to throw it out and start again. Tuesday night, Ryan had told him, Josh, you got to stop doing that. A year later, the prosecutor, in his closing arguments, would say that that night Ryan had signed his death warrant. Wednesday night, Josh showed back up at work, pulled up to the back door, and sat in his car. The guy was creepy enough that the manager on duty said, Josh, go home. You're not working tonight. Just go home. So Josh went home, or wherever he went. Thursday night, Joshua comes back at the dinner hour, about 6.30. A 
busy time in the restaurant, so you can imagine people traveling, getting off the 65, probably mar starting to be spring break time, the end of February. He comes back in, and he kind of shuffles around a little bit, and somebody said, Josh, what are you doing here? He said, I'm checking my schedule. So he had a reason to be there, apparently. With that, he called Ryan by name. He said, Ryan. Ryan turned, and he shot him. Shot him in the shoulder. Ryan spun around, and he shot him eight or nine more times. I'm sorry that's graphic. I could be more graphic, but that is graphic. But that's the reality of my story. It was after... Um, Dre, the young man who was Ryan's friend, held Ryan while he died. This happened at 6.30. We weren't notified till after 9 o'clock that this had happened. So his friend was there and held him while he died. The coroner went to the door of my ex-sister-in-law, and then he called Tim. Karen couldn't do it. So he called Tim and told him. The hours and days to follow were a blur. But God walked with us. I'm telling you that today. That's why I'm sharing this. God walked with us. We were able to re quickly remember the memories from a few days before. It gave us the strength. It gave us the knowledge that God loved us. He had given us those gifts. He'd allowed his, the, Ryan's dad to see him and to tell him that he loved him and to embrace him. On a regular week, that wouldn't have happened, but Papa was good. So in the days that followed, we were able to minister to other people. I watched my brother ministering grace to the coworkers that were there. Can you imagine? They'll never be the same. We live with the knowledge, but they were there. They ran out of the building. What do you do in a situation like that? Those kids are forever changed. But I watched my brother in his sorrow be able to share God's love. He might not see it that way necessarily, but he was able. God gave him the strength and he gave us the strength to not only walk through it, but to walk through it, to laugh at the things. We'll never take away Ryan ordering his first beer. Tim and Ryan had never shared a beer. They shared a beer on the Sunday night before Ryan died. Those are some beautiful things. And it was so cool to see how he brought those things. They were recent history to us, so he was able to bring those things back to get us through those days. A week or two later, we go back to Bible study. We'd come to know what Mac's family knew. We were into that story and never thought we'd ever have a family member brutally murdered, but we now know. I mean, Max fictional, of course, but we know what that is as a family to go through that. The two beautiful ladies that were in the study that hung with us, they are forever changed. Well, one of them is now with Jesus. She would soon enter into kidney failure and what that meant, and it would take her life. She faced the end of her life with such beauty and light, she was able to minister to everyone around her because she knew who she was in Christ. She knew that Papa was especially fond of her. She loved the Shack study. 
the other older lady who was her aunt, her life is forever changed as well. We have a bond that others don't quite get because we walked through this all together. As I said, everyone's story is different, but God uses our uniqueness. We saw God's loving hand. We are forever changed. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that it's been easy or anything like that. I sometimes think that I have PTSD because it's such a, tra it's such a trauma and so out of the ordinary that I find I'm very sensitive to coworkers when they seem a little off loud noises, phone calls late at night or early in the morning. When you've had that call, your mind goes there. I'm not saying feel sorry for me. I'm saying it's a journey, but Papa's with me. And in the darkest time, he showed us his love and his faithfulness, and he will be faithful to finish what he's already started in us. Papa is with us in the darkness and in the light. Now, I shared with you about my car ride to North Buxton that day and that I was praying and, and whatnot. Just within the past month, the Holy Spirit revealed something to me about that conversation that they and I had had on the way. And here I thought I was praying for Tim to find peace and wellness from the past hurts. I wasn't. The Holy Spirit revealed to me I was praying for strength for the family in the days to come. I didn't know that, but the Spirit knew it inside of me. Romans 8.26 in the Passion Translation says, And in a similar way, the Holy Spirit takes a hold of us in our human frailty to empower us in our weakness. For example, at times when we don't even know how to pray or know the best things to ask for, but the Holy Spirit rises up within us to super intercede on our behalf, pleading to God with emotional sighs too deep for words. That's beautiful to me because I had never experienced that. I have heard that verse and known that, yes, sometimes we do groan to the Father. We do, we necessarily don't find words, but I found that even what I was praying was not what I thought it was. I wasn't praying about the past. I was praying strength for the future, and I wasn't even aware of it until just about a month ago. And I'm thankful for that revelation because it, it's all part of that story that, um, that I can share. Um, for you that have seen the shack, remember when Papa tells Mac, when, only, when all that you see is your pain, perhaps it is then that you have lost sight of me. Papa was always there, just like Papa was there with us. Papa was with Ryan that day. Ryan was ready to go to heaven. Ryan, you know, growing up in the southern states for the time that he was and having his, um, having his specialties in his life, he worried about the future. He worried about things, the condition of the world, especially the U.S., and, and Papa didn't. You know, he, he took him. And as much as I miss Ryan, Ryan is with the father. And Ryan is now with my dad. Ryan is cheering me on this morning. And to close this morning, I, 
I kind of debated, you know, whether I've shared this story, I've told parts of it to coworkers, and I've shared things about it at my church, but um, the experience as, as details, this is the first time I've done it. And I just felt a real confidence that the Holy Spirit was saying, it's for you to share. It is part of your story, like Ralph said years ago. It is, it makes you, has brought you where you are. Um, this morning when I got here, I pulled into the driveway. And I was sitting there, I was actually about quarter to ten. And I flipped open my Facebook. And my memory for today, you know how it gives you memories, pictures or whatever, was from 10 years ago today, and it was a picture of Clark and Tim and Ryan and Rachel taking a tour of the turkey farm, just walking carefree. And I thought, thank you, Father. You've given me the confirmation to know that the message you've given me is the right one for the right time. Sorry, I've wavered off of my notes here. I guess that's basically um, what I have to share with you. Thank you for listening, and thank you for going through this with me. Um, can we pray? Lord, I don't know what your plans are. I don't know what you um, have in mind. Uh, Lord, I don't know the thoughts, but that's not up to me to worry about. Lord, I thank you that you have been with us on this journey. I know that you will continue to be on this journey with us. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you, Lord, for these people today and, Lord, friendships that, um, Lord, it's good to have friends that even if you're not together all the time, that you are still hold each other close in your heart. So thank you for the friendships here at Hope. I just thank you again for this day and for this time together. Amen.